so glad that you came out today, even in this heat. Is it hot in here or what? Yeah, so I'm going to have to preach extra good so you all stay awake. It is hot today, but we're glad for that in January, right? It's nice. All right, today we're going to be in John chapter 6. Uh, we're continuing on our journey through the Gospels. It's been a good journey, and today we're going to look at what is probably one of Jesus's uh, most familiar miracles, even to people who might be less familiar with Jesus. And the reason is, is because this miracle was done in front of so many people, and actually it became very memorable for the disciples because it's the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which says something about the importance of this, of this miracle in the New Testament. And this is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Many of you are probably familiar uh, with this particular um, uh, miracle in the life of Jesus. Now, today we're going to look at John's account. But if you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you get some other information that John uh, doesn't give us. And one piece of information is the context of this passage. So what we know from Matthew, Mark, and Luke is that right before this miracle, uh, Jesus has found out some very difficult news, and that is that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been killed by Herod, by King Herod. And this affected Jesus. I mean, this is Jesus' own family. And so scripture tells us that he went to a desolate place on the on, the, on a hill by the Sea of Galilee, he went to go be by himself. And, you know, it's these moments in the life of Jesus that remind us of his humanity. You know, Jesus, fully God and fully man, but in his full humanity, he experienced the kinds of pain and suffering that we go through, including grief and including this kind of tragedy. And so he went off alone for a little bit to pray. But because his healing ministry had already started in Galilee, in the region surrounding the Sea of Galilee, um, Jesus by this point had some notoriety, and so this large crowd figures out where he went, and they go to follow him. And so Jesus is there kind of recovering from this shocking news, and then he sees them coming, this big crowd of people who are looking for the same thing, healing and deliverance and a touch from Jesus. And Jesus is moved with compassion, the Gospels tells us. As a matter of fact, often his power flowed over that kind of compassion. And so he's moved with compassion as he sees the crowd coming. And even though, really at this point, he has his own stuff going on. You know, have you ever been in a place like that? You have your own stuff coming on and going on, and then you see them coming. You know, <laughs> the crowds of people, the people who need you. But Jesus is moved with compassion and he gathers his disciples, and they make their way into this crowd. And one of these kingdom ministry sessions uh, begins to take place that we read about all through the Gospels. So the sick are getting healed, and demons are being cast out, and the Gospel is being proclaimed. It is the explosive power of the kingdom of God meeting desperate situations, desperate lives, and desperate people and we don't know how long this ministry time went on, but there were thousands of them. So this was probably hours and hours of ministry. Now, in Sunday school, the pictures that I often saw of ministry times like this was of, like, Jesus sitting, you know, in a perfect pose on a rock. And everyone's, like, waiting their turn, you know? 
But just think about it. People here have life-threatening illnesses, desperate situations. And sometimes it's not for them. It's for their kids. Can you imagine the kind of desperation? You know, I saw a video once of a missionary in Mozambique. And at the time that she was doing ministry, this kind of explosive power was reaching majority Muslim villages. And they were seeing incredible things happen. I mean, like, like over and over again in these villages, nearly all the deaf people in the village were receiving their hearing, and blind people were receiving their sight. And if you look at those videos, people are not waiting in a line. You know, it's hot, it's dusty, it's sweaty, it smells like humanity. I couldn't smell it through the video, but I'm glad I couldn't, you know. And people are pressing in because they have a sense that the power of God is near in the midst of their desperate situation. I have a friend who's actually right now in Ethiopia ministering. And the place where they're ministering has seen one of the largest uh, revivals in the history of the church. It has just involved tens of thousands of people and has gone on for 60 consecutive years in Ethiopia. And he sent us a picture of this service that they have every night to do this kind of ministry. And he's in the middle of that. It's the same thing. People just pressing in around to get a touch. You know, when I was in India uh, um, a year and a half ago, um, not quite to this extent, but I experienced the same kind of thing, just masses of broken people looking for a touch from Jesus. And so this is what's happening while Jesus is, is ministering. And then the day is going on. Hours are passing. They're ministering to people. You know, the disciples are helping to facilitate this. We know by this point the disciples have been empowered to do the same things that Jesus is doing. So they're in the midst doing it as well. And then all of a sudden it dawns on them, oh, we are out in the wilderness because all these people followed Jesus way out there. And, and there isn't any grocery store around. And all of these people are going to get hungry very soon. It dawns on them. And so let's look at the passage together. If you'd stand to your feet, and we're going to read John chapter 6. And we're going to see how this point of realizing the need of hunger is precisely the place where the limitations of the disciples meet the power of Jesus. John 6, and we'll begin in verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. You can take your seat. Now, I just want to be clear as we look into this passage this morning that this passage is not primarily 
a passage about God providing for our personal needs. And if we read the passage that way, I think we miss the point of what's happening here. Now listen, it is true. God does provide for our personal needs, and there are passages of Scripture that speak very clearly to that fact, and we ought to be encouraged that that's the case, and we can trust those promises, and it is certainly good and right that we personally know God as our provider. But there's more going on in this passage. Also, I think you know this, but this isn't a passage that is teaching us that God just instantaneously erases all of our needs as soon as we experience them. You've heard us say before, God isn't some vending machine, right? He's a person that we relate to. And so that's not what this passage is teaching either. But this is a passage about the kind of breakthrough that Jesus can bring to a situation when the mission that we've been called to seems stalled by our own limitations. Remember that these disciples have been called to a mission, and he's teaching his disciples something in this miracle that he wants them to remember later on down the road, and in fact they did, because it ended up in all four Gospels. He wanted them to remember something about this miracle, that down the road, when they found the mission that they were called to, stalled by their own limitations, they could think of this miracle. And think about what Jesus had done when they didn't, what he had done when they didn't have enough to keep on going in the mission that God has called them to. So I just want to point out four things that Jesus does with the limitations of the disciples. And the first thing I'm going to point out is that Jesus called the disciples to a mission. He called them to a mission. Remember, this is the context of the passage. It's what we've been talking about in this whole series that Jesus has called these ones to himself, not just to travel with him, but to do the things that he was doing, to learn to do kingdom ministry with him. And in fact, that was the mission that he gave them. It was to facilitate the inbreaking of the kingdom of God that was coming in Jesus's ministry. It was to participate with Jesus in the establishing of the kingdom on earth. And we've defined the kingdom all throughout this series as God's rule expressed on this earth. Wherever God is ruling, in a heart, in a city, in a church, in a situation, wherever the dynamic activity of his ruling is manifested there, the kingdom of God is also. That's what we're talking about. And that's what the disciples were called to. They had a general mission, and it continued after Jesus' ascension. The general mission was to bring the kingdom. And they had a specific mission, you know, different assignments that Jesus gave them along the way. And in John chapter 6, the assignment is to minister and care for these disciples, I mean, for this crowd that is on this hillside, to minister to their spiritual and physical needs, to care for them, to demonstrate and proclaim the kingdom of God to them. Now, listen. It's true of all of us. If you're in Jesus, he's given you a mission too. You know, every single one of us in this room, if you're in Christ, you have the same general mission that I have. And it's to be agents of the kingdom of God in this world. Not of our own kingdoms, right? It's not my will be done on earth as it is in my own house, right? It's your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, That's the general mission that we've all been given. But it's also true that if you're in Christ, you have specific missions that God calls you to as well. And there's all different kinds of ways to discern 
you know, what that is. But God gives his people specific assignments in the kingdom. But all of those specific missions serve the same general mission. And this is why we don't need to get insecure around each other's specific missions, right? We don't, we don't need to feel jealous. We don't need to do this comparison game with each other when it comes to specific missions. As a matter of fact, I found that the more I am focused on the specific mission that God has given to me, the more I can rejoice in the specific mission that God has given to other people, right? Because it's the same mission. All the little specific missions fit under the big general one, which is to bring the kingdom. I'm not building my own kingdom. I, I'm an agent of the kingdom, and so are you. And I promise, no matter who you are, you haven't been left out of that if you're in Jesus. You don't have to question that. You don't have to, be, you don't have to wonder if you've been left out. You haven't. You have a mission in the kingdom of God. And that is the context of this miracle. Jesus here isn't just teaching them something about how he will provide for their personal needs. He's teaching them something about how he will provide for the mission. This miracle of provision is rooted in the mission of God. I have a good friend of mine who would always tell me about these crazy ministry plans he had. And he would tell me about them. And I'd think, bro, that is going to cost so much money. You know, I would just think, how are you going to pull that off? And, I, you know, I bring up these questions to him, and he would say, well, it's God's mission, so God's got to pay for it. And so he would say, now listen, he wasn't being arrogant. He was actually reverencing the will of God in his life. See, he wasn't saying, well, this is my personal mission, and I need God to bless my personal mission with provision. He was saying, best I can tell... This mission that God has given me is rooted in the will of God. It's rooted in the king's will, so I can trust that he'll provide. I can trust that he'll pay for it. That's how God wants to do it, because he wants all the glory. From beginning to end, the mission belongs to him. Secondly, Jesus confronts the disciples with their own limitations. In this passage, when it comes time to feed this crowd, Jesus asks them a question where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Can you imagine the look on the disciples' face? Why are you asking me that question? You know, what am I supposed to do about this? In the other Gospels, this question is actually more pointed. Actually, it's not a question. It's a statement. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now, John tells us what's happening here. Jesus knew that they did not have it within their power to meet this need. He knew that there was no way that was going to be able to happen. So what is Jesus doing? Well, John says it. He was testing them. Testing what? He was testing their faith. Listen, Jesus is really into confronting us with our own limitations. He has to do it. If he's called us to the mission and he's called all of us to the mission, then it becomes necessary for him to confront us with our own limitations. In fact, I've seen this in people's lives, that the greater anointing, the greater the confrontation will be. Because Jesus has to settle this issue in all of our lives in some form or fashion. It'll happen externally or internally by the conviction of the Spirit or by a tragedy in our life. But in some form or fashion, he's going to bring us to the end of our rope. He's going to say to us, you feed them. Now, maybe one of the reasons that 
Jesus has to force us to face our own limitations is because we so often are ashamed of our limitations. Now, you know, we might not think that's the case, but there's some things I've observed in myself and in other people that let me know that generally speaking, we are ashamed of our own limitations. You know, for instance, we don't like to talk about them, right? What do we like to talk about? Our strengths, right? And we even find spiritual ways to do it, to emphasize our strengths, but to never have to talk about our limitations. Or this, I think this is telling, that sometimes when people confront us with our limitations, when someone, even in love, comes to us and says, you know what, you're limited in that area, like, you're just not good at that, or you don't have what it takes to do that, our response is often what? Defensiveness. It speaks to shame. You know, surrounding our limitations. It speaks to the fact that we don't like to talk about, or this, that we have a tendency to talk about people's limitations behind their backs, right? To point out to each other, well, you know, they're young, or they're not educated, or they're inexperienced, or whatever. To talk about the ways that they're limited instead of the ways that they're strong. In all of these ways, it shows the fact that sometimes we are ashamed of the areas in our life where we are limited. And listen, the enemy loves to mess with this. You can be sure of it. The enemy loves to reinforce shame, you know, over limitations. He loves to make us feel guilty over limitations, to feel like these are things that we must hide. And then we resort to pride to hide them, right? We boast about our strengths. We put our best foot forward all of the time instead of being honest about the places where we're limited. But eventually, in all of our lives, to everyone that's called, Jesus is going to come to us in some form or fashion and say, you feed them. Jesus is saying, no, for real, let me see what you can do. You know, let, let me see what you're able to accomplish. Let's see what you think you're able to do. And you know what? At that point, that's the test. Either we are going to say, you know what? I'm abandoning this mission because continuing on in it is going to require too much vulnerability. Or as quick as possible, we're going to look at Jesus and say, you know what? I can't feed the people. What can you do? Um, one of the people in my life, uh, not, not, I'm sorry, not personally. I've just read his books. I feel like he's in my life. Um, but uh, someone who I consider a hero in the faith, and he had a worldwide ministry. I mean, just touched thousands and thousands of people. But before God really got his ministry going, um, he had already built up a church. It had the trappings of what looked like success. There were lots of people coming to the church. And one day in a personal crisis of prayer, the Lord said to him, well, I've seen what you can do. Do you want to see what I can do now? No. And that was the turning point in his ministry. I've seen what you can do. Do you want to see what I can do now? You see, the first response, the first faith-filled response to any obstacle that we face in the mission is not to try harder. That's often what we think we got to do as soon as we face the obstacle. It's not to strive more. You know, the first step in, in responding in a faith-filled way to obstacles is throwing our hands up and saying, you're right, I'm limited. This is above me. There's nothing to hide. God knows who I am. Other people may not understand my limitations, but God knows. 
unlimited. There's no way I'm feeding these 5,000 people. And this is what the disciples do. They realize they don't have what it takes. But then one of the disciples speaks up, Andrew. And he brings to Jesus a little boy in the crowd who has two fish and three loaves. And this is the third thing that Jesus does. Jesus welcomes the limited resources that are available. I love this about Jesus. He welcomes to himself the limited resources that are available. John gives us more detail about this boy and his lunch than any of the other Gospels do. And here's what we know, that these loaves, these loaves of bread, were made out of barley. That is a poor person's lunch. You know, barley is what poor people ate in Jesus' day. And he uses a specific Greek word to describe the fish. We're not talking a big, nice piece of salmon. We're talking an anchovy, a salted anchovy, all right? It's some kind of relish for the bread. And so Andrew brings this boy forward with these two barley loaves and his two anchovies. And look at Jesus. Look how wonderful he is. He doesn't ridicule what this boy brings. And he doesn't ridicule our own limitations, church. Do you hear me? See, we don't have to be ashamed of our limitations. Jesus welcomes them to himself. And this is why we must never ridicule the limitations of other people because we're often ridiculing the very things that are so precious to Jesus. Jesus is working to confront us with his love in such a way so that our limitations come out because that's when the really good work gets going. And so Jesus' attitude, I mean, he doesn't skip a beat. He sees three barley loaves, two anchovies, and he's like, let's do this, you know? And so he just splits up the crowd. He has them split up the crowd, and they begin to pass out the food. But I don't want you to miss a small detail in this that I think is so powerful. In all of the Gospels, it says that before Jesus began to break this bread and pass out this fish, that he gave thanks. Now listen, I understand that this would have been a normal practice for any Jewish person before they eat, to offer thanks to God before they, they ate. But I find it so powerful, listen, that while we sometimes are so busy being ashamed about our limitations or being concerned about what other people think about our limitations, that Jesus is giving thanks for our limitations because it is the very place where his power will break in. It's the very place where the kingdom will break through. We spend so much time hiding, but Jesus is drawing it out. So let me ask you this morning, what are your limitations in the ministry? What are your limitations in the mission that God has called you? Is it your sin? You just feel like you're disqualified because of it. Is it your own abilities? You don't have this ability or that ability, and you're not sure that you can be on the mission? Is it your stage in life? You know, different stages can feel more or less limiting when it comes to mission. And sometimes we find ourselves in these places where it's like, look, I'm just trying to get through the day, right? I'm just trying to survive today. That's my limitation. You know, how can I be on the mission when I'm just trying to get through today? Is it your poverty you know, do you just feel like you don't have enough resources? Is it your physical limitations somehow, health issues that you feel like limit you from the mission that God has called you to? Is it your depression? 
Is it your spinning wheels? You just feel like you're trying and trying and trying and you're not getting it anywhere. Is it, you feel like, look, I've taken steps of faith to go on this mission. I feel like there's not enough provision. Whatever it is, Jesus welcomes whatever you can give to him. Listen, however small it is, he is not going to laugh at it. He's, he doesn't send this boy away and say, come back when you have a bigger lunch, you know? He uses what the little boy has, and this is what he begins to multiply. I find that all too often in the lives of Christians, our limitations are a source of guilt for us. You know, we are constantly see these ways that we're limited in the mission, that we can't be like that person or that person that we think is doing better at the mission than us. And so we feel guilty before God. But you need to know that God welcomes those limitations and he will let you sit in that place until you know that his love is there, even in the place of your limited capacity. Lastly, if the worship team could come up, Jesus turns the place of limitation into the place of limitless provision. Now listen, this passage doesn't explain exactly how it happened. It doesn't go into details. Don't you wonder, what did it look like? You know, what did this happen like? You know, as Jesus is, is passing this out, what, what were they observing and seeing? But all that we know is that what Jesus accomplishes here is a creative miracle. As a matter of fact, it speaks to his divinity because Jesus existed for all eternity past before he ever came to earth. And scripture tells us this, that he was involved in the creative act of making the world and the universe and everything in it. And here, this miracle speaks to Jesus' identity. He is God in the flesh. And not only does everyone have enough to eat at the end, but there's a ton left over. You know, it's as if Jesus is saying, look, I'm the one that put you on the mission. I'm the one that called you. I'm the one that confronts you in love so that you are forced to face your own limitations in the mission. And so I am the one who in the place of your limitation will cause blessing to overflow again and again, not for your sake alone, but so that the world may know that there is a king who loves them. You know, one of the most amazing stories I know about this, I was in Belglade once. I may have shared this story before, I don't know. I've been preaching at Crestmont just long enough to start repeating stories, so bear with me. But uh, I met this uh, Methodist pastor, Nigerian Methodist pastor who was ministering in Florida, and he told me this story about a businessman in his church in South Central Florida. And this businessman had been very successful, and his business was well known, but all of a sudden he found his heart captured with a desire for the kingdom of God above all else. And this led into a season of intense prayer where he was just telling the Lord, I just want you. I just want you. I want my life to be opened up for the mission of God in the world. I'm giving you what I have. And listen, even the rich among us, even the strong among us, even the wealthy businessmen in this guy's church, look, in the scope of the kingdom, all we got are anchovies, right? That's all we got. We got a bunch of anchovies to offer the kingdom of God. That's what we have. 
You know, and so he just started saying, God, I don't know if what I have, you know, is going to mean much, but I just want it uh, to, to be on mission for you. So he came to his pastor, my Nigerian friend, and he shared this desire with him. And, and so my pastor friend began to pray for him in his personal time. And one day he got a word from the Lord for him. And it was this, God is about to increase your resources to be put to use for the mission of God in the world. And it is going to blow your mind what he's about to do. This guy was already successful, but his heart was focusing on the Lord. That success wasn't mattering anymore. So one day, my pastor friend, he gets a knock on the door. And this guy is there, tears streaming down his face. And he says, you won't believe it. He said, unexpectedly, I signed a $2 million contract. Our business did this week. And we're going to have all this profit. And he said, I'm going to put it to use for the kingdom of God. Well, my pastor friend is sitting there listening to this. The man is, is crying to him. And he said, all of a sudden, I heard the Lord say, that's great, but it's not it. And he told the guy, no, that's great, but that's not it. That's not the word that I was giving you. Like, that's awesome, but that's not what the Lord was speaking to me about. There's something else. Can you imagine? So the guy goes away. He comes back a few weeks later, same thing, knock on the door. And I don't remember the exact number, and I don't want to exaggerate, but it was in the tens of millions of dollars. They had signed another surprise contract, and the guy, he didn't increase his standard of living. It was nothing like that. It's seated ministry all over South Central Florida. He used it to open up, you know, all of this kingdom ministry in his region. Because this is what God does in the place of our limitations, great limitations, small limitations. God comes in and he does the impossible. He makes it a place of limitless provision. Now listen, I'm not saying this happens instantaneously or in the amount of tens of millions of dollars. If you leave here thinking I preach that, that's on you, all right? But listen, what I am saying is that God loves to show off in the places of our weakness, amen? That's what he loves to do. And listen, this is the truth, that Jesus who is fully God and fully man, who existed for all eternity past. He took on a limited human body out of love for us. In it, he tempted. He was tempted. In it, he suffered. In it, he was nailed to a cross. And there, imagine it, think of it. There is God in all of the limitation of humanity, nailed to a cross. And somehow that place of limitation became the place of limitless blessing for our lives. So this was true for him too. It was in that place that love rushed in and saved the day. It was in that place that grace covered all of our sin. And so this is the exchange that Jesus limited himself so that we could know the blessings of God. And now we hand our limitations to him in exchange. Church, all he's asking for is your anchovies. That's all he's asking for. He's asking for whatever is limited. You know, even our strengths are just that. What he's asking for is the limited places of your life, and that's exactly what he will turn into the mission. If you'd stand to your feet.